Hello, halflings. It is I, your... That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Our very neighborhood resident DM, Jeremy, here to tell you that we just launched a new series of Three Black Halflings actual play, in case you hadn't heard. It's a whole new 20-episode season of Wagadu actual play. This one's called Tales of Wagadu, The Curse of the Spider Queen. It's a brand new adventure set decades after the end of our first Wagadu series, The Cub and the Caterpillar. Uh, So if you are a new fan who has not listened to that series, you can jump into this one. You'll get just as much out of it. And if you are an old fan who has listened to The Cub and the Caterpillar, stay tuned for some interesting references, developments, maybe even a cameo or two of an NPC or otherwise. It's a fun, fun time. The first episode features me as DM and, of course, our own Liv Kennedy and newcomer Shamadi Bundel as players, both of them playing incredibly engaging, immediately fun, and adorable characters in a thoroughly entertaining, sometimes very fun, sometimes harrowing adventure. And that's not all I have to announce, everyone. Alan Cudicio, I have it from the man himself, the man behind the Wagadu Chronicles, has told me that the Wagadu team will be launching their Alpha 2 for the Wagadu Chronicles MMORPG in September, and that all role players and Wagadu lovers are welcome to apply. I know I've already applied. So the rest of y'all gotta get on this. This is the Wagadu Chronicles, the whole reason we're here talking about this right now. They even got Unati to do the trailer. Ugh, Wagadu team is fantastic. So go check out the Wagadu Alpha 2 and Tales of Wagadu, The Curse of the Spider Queen, today. Stay hungry, halflings. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, halflings! I'm trying out different intros. Yeah, that one was, How do we like that one? That was even that was, more like... Was good. Wake up, motherfuckers! <laughs> it was intense and Kick concise. Kick out the jam, motherfuckers! <laughs> mm-hmm. um, hey, what's up? I'm Jeremy Cobb. Pronouns he, him. Welcome back to another episode of Three Black Halflings. Uh, my name is Jeremy Cobb. However, Declan Gilhooly calls me Stompin' Cobb. Which is a Warhammer 40k reference to a giant blue spider. Mm. Which there is apparently a giant blue spider in Warhammer named Stompin' Cobb. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send you the link right now. I found it. Uh, I'll send you the link to Stompin' Cobb. But uh, go look up Stompin' Cobb. Mm. Uh, Hopefully, it does not bear much of a resemblance to me. Mm. But um, yeah, if maybe maybe you all think it does. But anyway, thank you very very much, Declan. I hope I'm saying your name. It could be Declan. And if it's Declan, then I'm sorry that I got it wrong. Uh, but I'm not the only person here. Once again, we have summoned the three Black Halflings Avengers sliding in on top of a shield, having surfed their way through a flooded New York City. Is. 
Joan Miller. I am a nerd about nerd stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And rising out from the waves, uh, preceded by the dead body of a mind controlled orca that had been terrorizing the citizenry of New York. Uh, you see the orca rise up first, the limp body thrown up onto the shore, stepping behind. Uh, who, who do we see? Despite the imagery, not Namor. I am Navar, <laughs> and uh, I am the host and creator of the Secret Nerd Podcast. Um, also filling in as the role of um, Black Panther uh, in the Three Black Halfling Avengers. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, pronouns he, him. Super excited to be here. And then I tried to shoot Kevin Costner. This is the wrong dungeon and the wrong dragon. Full Prince vibe? Woof. <laughs> this makes them even more black. It does have an alligator with a pistol in it, though. A brand new yeah. On a nat 20. No! My name is Blam Jam. That's disgusting, and I love it. <laughs> We're about to get into something real big now. Yeah! All right. When uh, we're here to talk about a classic, a true nerd classic. Are we being a little uh, the- bit fast and loose with the definition of the word classic? I'm not. No, I consider the room to be a classic. And though this is not as entertaining as that, it is more on that end of the scale uh, of classic than it is, say, Lord of the Rings, mm. uh, which came out immediately a year after. This is the 2000 Dungeons and Dragons movie. Mm-hmm. The notorious <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons movie. Yeah. Oh, what was it? The two movies that I we're, was saying it reminded me of. We're here, folks. Of, it was bookended by two movies that made me oh, be like, uh, oh, Phantom Menace. Just like, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. And, uh, Phantom Menace and, 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 and the first Harry Potter. Harry film. Potter. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, my understanding is that it was heavily influenced by Phantom Menace. <laughs> To the point where, you like, a tell. lot in Star Wars in general. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I yeah. think the major difference is that most of the effects are practical, mm-hmm. or at least a lot of the effects in this movie are practical, in contrast to the prequels where, like, so much of it is just blue screens. Uh, like, the there whole maze a segment. a lot of bad CGI in this movie. Yes, but I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, like, the sets and stuff. Yeah. Whereas, okay. like, if you okay. look at the yeah. behind the scenes on, like, the prequels, nothing is real. Uh, it's just these people walking in, like, rooms of blue. Uh, mm-hmm. whereas in this, there's actual, like, Indiana Jones-style hijinks yeah. in real sets. Yeah. I will yeah. say the one thing about this movie that I can unequivocally praise is the practical effects. Mm. Oh, it, you know what it was? It was the puppetry that made me think of um, Phantom Menace. The, the puppetry and the monster costumes. A lot of them gave mm. me vibes that they would be right at home on a Tatooine set. I was listening recently to a Star Wars podcast. Um, and they were talking about, it's actually specifically about the Clone Wars, but they watched the Phantom Menace and then Star Wars Clone Wars movie. And then they do all of the episodes of the show, the Clone Wars. And they were talking about how at the time George Lucas had like learned a bunch of new techniques and stuff and wanted to implement them before they were really like tested. And that's where a lot of that stuff came from in Phantom Menace. So hearing that this was also done like, and inspired by that, I think it makes a lot of sense in that some of it was kind of um, puppety and, and raw and uh, mm. it, it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 
as much as we're going to make fun of this movie, I'm excited to talk about it because I think it's, um, it was funny to go back and watch it again after 20 years, uh, <laughs> and see like, oh yeah, this happened. This was a thing. Mm. I have never seen it. We allowed this to happen. Yeah. Yeah. We, we allowed this to happen. Um, Mm. yeah. I take no responsibility. I was 13 years old. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was similarly young. I think that's X. I I think that's one thing though, that you're bringing up. That's very interesting to which is that like, if you look at this movie, there's, this feels like the last gasp of, fantasy before mm-hmm. it was completely revolutionized the following year mm-hmm. by the uh, the release of Lord of the Rings uh, Fellowship of the Ring like mm-hmm. to watch this and realize that this is was made within a year of that like released within a year of that movie it is like oh okay yeah this is a different this is a different ball game because this movie has have you ever seen what is it the tenth kingdom I think it's tenth kingdom it's called the tenth mm-hmm. kingdom mm-hmm. There is a, it's a fantasy, it's like a high fantasy series. Yes, it was. Uh, It's a high fantasy TV series that came out. When did this, when was this removed? Ah, it was released in 2000. Mm. Uh, Hmm. And it's like, it's like uh, semi-urban fantasy. I think it's like a, uh, I think it's a woman gets like pulled out of New York into a fairy tale land. And it has... I think it's better than this movie, but it has a lot of the same hallmarks of like kind of cheesy, silly effects, weird. Like a lot of the performances are still very like dark crystal Mm -hmm. and like, and legend influenced. Um, and it's, it's, it's before fantasy has started to take itself seriously in Mm -hmm. movies. It's before, before like movie high fantasy has said, nah, let's, let's act like this is real. I think, uh, it kind of points to we've already pointed out that these all came out like 2000, 2001 and keeping in mind that anything that was released in 2001 was shot at least a year before that, probably um, all of this is prior to nine 11. And as soon as nine 11 happens, there's a huge transformation in popular culture where everything gets grittier and more realistic and darker and full of this feeling of, uh, not being able to trust people and um, like, you know, things seeming like the stakes are higher than they've ever been before or that mm-hmm. you're, you know, like the whole American ethos mm-hmm. of we were this exceptional, uh, untouchable thing. And now we've discovered we actually do still have vulnerabilities. Mm. Well, I, it's funny you mentioned that because if you look at the poster for the Tenth Kingdom, you can see the twin towers on it. Hmm. Mm. It's wow. it's yeah, like it's. I think that's a very good point. Like obviously, Lord of the Rings was in production prior to nine nine eleven, but it's really interesting that it still came in as like the first of the serious fantasy movies. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like yeah, let's treat this seriously. And uh, I think Lord of the Rings because it was made pre 9-11, maybe not because, but maybe just because of the books, has a slightly more uh, positive outlook. Or I would say a much more positive outlook than a lot of the post 9-11 stuff, where it's like, it's all about, it's extremely sincere, like painfully sincere, about like, it's all about love, and we're helping each other, and we can do it! And it's like the most self-seriously, but it's also just awesome. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it works. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's got got historical content for it, too context rather mm-hmm. of like this was made written back in the early 1900s and so his uh 
like the story is being directly pulled from that. And I very, I feel like very, and I'm sure readers of the books who are like fanatics are going to rip me apart. But like, I feel like most of it was pretty close to what the book material was that came out in the movies of Lord of the Rings. Except for the yeah. stuff they cut uh, out. Yeah. Yeah. They right, did yeah, cut yeah. a lot of stuff and they did change some things. Like in the books, I think the writers of Rohan are singing mm. when they do the charge of the Rohirrim in Return of the King, which just would not have worked in the movie. Uh, but it's like, it's pretty darn close, yeah. at least from like a non Tolkien fanatics point of view. Yeah. Whereas like yeah. the D and D 2000 movie is like super anachronistic and uh, yes. <laughs> just all over the place in its tone. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. It, it's also just not an accurate representation of, for the most part, of what you actually get in D&D. One of my biggest gripes is that at the very, towards the climax of the film, the main dungeon that he goes into, only one person gets to go into the dungeon. And I was <laughs> yeah. just like, mm-hmm. that's not fucking D&D. That's a video yeah. game. Like, like actually, yeah, we don't want to film those lines, so if we could just keep all of you out, that'd be great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah no i agree. yep yeah yeah it will there were very that's a very good point uh there we've rarely see how any of like there's the whole section where they get they jump into the scroll i think mm. like they get sucked into another alternate dimension yeah. towards the beginning of the movie they mm. receive a whole quest but they cut all of those scenes mm-hmm. and only so two of them. i yeah. found out yeah two only two of them go in and mm-hmm. we don't see what happens. Now, this is obviously a filmmaking foible, which, as I understand it, the director was forced to remove those scenes, mm. which is why he really? added the really awkward explanation. Yes, uh, from yeah. what I understand, there were multiple, including the introduction of the dwarf character. He was also forced to remove those scene, that scene, because which may be the most D&D thing about this, is they go through an adventure, and then suddenly there's another person here, because the guy just joined mm-hmm. the campaign like a couple of sessions in, and we didn't have time to like <laughs> finagle him, so now he's just here. <laughs> yeah and he also never oh. put a name on his character sheet so we never refer to him by name that's exactly. <laughs> a good point what is his name <laughs> i don't know uh, he does have a name i uh, i it's uh his name is elwood mm. but no one says it oh, yeah nope oh my god then when the meat was in his beard i was oh god like the, yeah. the stereotypes of the dwarves in this movie are real rough and it doesn't help that they're played by little people and like there is a point i i uh messaged these guys on discord when i saw it because i was losing my mind he literally picks up a little person and says hey little guy and physically picks him up and moves yep. him to another yeah. space and i was just Marlon like wayne's his character yeah. oh yeah <sighs> yeah yeah there's that, I mean, yeah. uh, and, uh, <laughs> the guy who plays Elwood is actually not a little person. Let's Lee Ehrenberg. He's play, oh. he played Pintel in Pirates of the Caribbean. Pintel of Pintel oh. and Rigetti, like the shorter. Yeah, that was, was him. And I don't Kate. think he's a little person. I think he's just a short guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the main well, dwarf the is not even played then. by a little person. <laughs> yes. Yes. The, the person, person who was picked, picked up was definitely. definitely was. Yeah. 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 And he referred to him as little guy while he was saying it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Also, there was a scene where a woman got goosed, uh, groped from behind, yes! and literally that no one reacted at all. <laughs> she was like, like, ah, and everybody else was like, nah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Even the guy that's supposedly her romantic interest was just kind of like, <sighs> what? Yeah. Like, Again, very 80s. It, it's, that's yeah. absolutely the kind of thing you'd see in an 80s movie. Yeah. And this came out in 2000. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, there's like, a lot of problems. <laughs> it's pretty <bad. laughs> It reminds me, honestly, a little bit of Hook. Like a mm. much worse version of Hook. Mm-hmm. In, it, it Tonally as well. Like, I think a lot of the stuff that's in Hook, uh, even though it's not 80s, it's, yeah. I think, early 90s. But a lot of it, I think, wouldn't have worked today. Like, just from, uh, like, the state, like, I absolutely, I don't have to rewatch the movie, but could absolutely envision a scene where a woman gets goosed Mm -hmm. uh, in that movie. And it's just like, they're just like, ah, we're pirates! Because in the movie, it seemed like it's hand-waved away because, ah, they're, it's the Thieves' Guild! Yeah. Uh, But, yeah. I think, in that vein, one of the scenes, or a few of the scenes that just didn't work for me, and part of it, I think, was tone, was all the scenes with the Empress. Um especially the one towards the climax of the film when she's talking to the council right before she's supposed to give the rod back. And I'm just like, first of all, it's very obvious that it's either ADR or they got a whole nother actress to just dub it because like her mouth is not making the shape of the words that she is saying. Um, (laughs) Like literally like her mouth is opening like just like a half an inch and she's like yelling at the top of her lungs. And I'm like that, no this isn't working yeah i know this is not her talking um and it's not like it was a good speech either but it also didn't look like they had changed the words of the speech it just looked like whoever was delivering the dialogue was just not like either didn't have the video or something um and i also thora just didn't Birch's... understand the choices oh, go ahead. she made yeah, Thora Birch's performance in this movie is notoriously awful. It came on the on the heels of American Beauty, which people were like, she's incredible. I think she was Academy Award nominated for that movie. And this movie, like it to a large extent, just sunk her career. Mm. Uh, she like she was on a huge upswing, uh, upswing, and she came crashing into this movie. And it's it's just like a lifeless, flat performance. Who directed uh, it? Oh, yes. So this is an interesting fact. So this movie was directed by a man named Courtney Solomon. Courtney Solomon was essentially a huge D&D fan who had acquired the rights to make a D&D movie when he was 19 years old and had been trying to get one made ever since. This movie, he was like 30 when he made this movie. But he had such a long road to get it made. And he was forced to use an earlier version of the script that didn't really accurately reflect the game so like it wasn't even i think it was like the d it was like wizards of the coast uh forced him to use a bad like a worse script that they had previously approved and it wasn't one that he wanted to use and so that's why that's where a lot of the bad elements of the movie come from you know what that reminds me of is my husband and i were talking about the movie that shall not be named that doesn't exist in bossing say um Mm-hmm. by M. Night Shyamalan. And ostensibly the whole reason he even took that film in the first place was because his kids like it. And like, because his kids like Avatar The Last Airbender. And can you imagine being that kid and then like that film comes out and you're like, my not only did my parents ruin my favorite thing for me, they ruined it for everyone. <laughs> and like in this case it's like oh no i took my favorite thing 
and this is what happened. And it's just like, that would be yeah. so heartbreaking to me. Like, that's if, like, somebody gave me the the rights to a Legend of Zelda movie and every Legend of Zelda fan hated it. Mm-hmm. And, like, <clears throat> I would, like I would die Mario a Bros. little. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I hope they invited sure. him to be involved in the new one. I hope. Mm. Yeah, that would be it would be not well because he did multiple sequels to this movie. I think they were all I know the second one was at least direct to TV. Uh, yeah. uh, and I don't think any of them. My understanding is that at least the second one is much closer to actual D&D. Like very little of what we these days recognize as D&D, I feel, is in that is in this movie. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. are reference like they reference Feeble Mind. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. they some a, a kind of shows wall up. of force spell. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but the beholder does not act like no, a beholder God, at the all. Beholders. Nope. it's awful. basically a guard dog. <laughs> they specifically awful. say, "Don't let the beholder see us," and then the beholder doesn't look like <laughs> all of its eyes point in the same direction. And I'm just like, it "It's a beholder." Like- <laughs> Why wouldn't it be looking in every direction at the same time? It looks like um, like a kid who has a balloon tied to their wrist, like is just like following along with these guards. Absolutely, <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. Um, yeah, I mean, there were so many things like the I forget the actor's name, but the guy who plays Scar in The Lion King. Uh, oh, Jeremy, Jeremy Irons. Irons. Yeah, Jeremy Irons. Yeah, acts his ass off. Like he's so like. Oh yeah, yeah. If it was just his performance, it would be a great film. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's so into it. It's actually Uh, (laughs) that and the whole scene that takes place in the thieves guild. Yeah, Yeah. with Richard O'Brien, who's I think most famous for having written and performed in the Rocky Horror Show and, of course, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm -hmm. He played Riff Raff. Uh, but he also wrote the show and he nice. he shows up as Xylus, I think, the leader of the Thieves Guild. Yeah. And mm. again, th- those I Jeremy Irons clearly understood the assignment. Yeah. <laughs> and he decided mm-hmm, he wanted mm-hmm, to get extra mm-hmm. credit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was like, well, this movie's not going to be great, but I will not let it ruin my career. Um, because mm. I have an incredible voice and I'm good at acting. So I'm going to just do my best <laughs> and everybody else is like yeah, I- this seems fun like marlon wayne's is like i did this in scary movie i could do this again and uh and then played well, that guy is. <laughs> this is why i was asking who was the director because you can tell especially because when you said that that actress did a great job in american beauty and then did a terrible job in this he doesn't know how to direct actors that's the thing mm. it's like there are a lot of directors out there who are fine with cameras, but don't know shit about directing actors. And when those actors get on camera, you can tell. And it's like Jeremy Irons delivered a great performance because Jeremy Irons knows how to act mm-hmm. and doesn't need anybody to direct him. And if you're taking your directing style based on how you direct Jeremy Irons, which is just let him do what he's going to do, <laughs> then yeah, the rest of your acting is going to be shit. Like, if, yeah. sorry, if you're not giving them notes, it's not going to be any good. If Jeremy Irons did on the first take what we see him do in this movie, I don't think I would have tried to direct him. I think I would have been too scared. Like, the um, I'm, that he I'm willing to, to bet he did moment. that in every take. I'm yes. willing to bet there's like ten <laughs> takes of him going two thousand percent. Yeah. If you thought that the opening the opening Hello Halflings uh, to this episode was intense, you have no idea. 
It almost makes me want to see him in the game with Brendan Lee Mulligan and Izzy. I don't remember her last name. Just playing the uh, game. Izzy Roland. Roland, yeah. Roland, yes. Yeah. Uh, just go bigger. Go bigger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he spends half of this movie milking the proverbial giant cow, mm. which is to say his arms in the air, both arms in the air, squeezing fists. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. He's in the red the entire time. And it's a thing of beauty. I was just going to say the, the movie is like, it's so um, it's really not D- like the whole time because like it's a and D movie. I'm trying to figure out like, okay, well what is the, what class are these characters? And so it's like, okay, do we have two rogues? Cause the protagonist is mm-hmm. a thief, right? Uh, that's his thing. Um, and then his best friend snails who gets done dirty is also a thief and cannot fight to save his life. Um, <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And so you're like, okay, well, are they rogues? And then you get you get uh, Marina, who's like, okay, well, she's a wizard, uh, even though she doesn't carry a spell book. Um, well, they specifically and, say mage a lot. Yeah, yeah. And then, okay, so yeah. So they're like, hey, you know what? We can get some money. Why don't we just go steal from magic school? Yeah, magic school. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody, even the Jeremy Irons character refers to it as magic school. Yeah. Like, no he name. tells them to go to magic school. There is no name for the school. There's, it's yeah, just it's called true. magic it's school. It's just magic school. There's yeah. no... <laughs> uh, There's the institution has no name. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's just a it lot of like... stunningly easy to break into for a school full of magic. Yeah. 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 And then it's like a lot of like, okay, um, Marlon Wayans, your direction here is just do a lot of physical comedy, um, screech loudly and, um, and just be kind of absurd. And that's what he, that's what he does. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just such a mess, but yeah, I mean, at the, I don't know. At the same time, he's the only character that I genuinely cared about because mm-hmm. like, I found the main protagonist to be an asshole, and mm. I also tend away from cis, hetero, white, straight male protagonists. Um, yeah. And then I hated the mage woman. Mm. I like she was obnoxious as hell. She was constantly using melee attacks for some reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she forgot she to use magic for most of yeah. the movie. Yeah. <laughs> she had. Yeah. She, like, she, high she level tried to do a. <laughs> Yeah, and then she, and then she tried to do something with spell components a yeah. little bit, mm-hmm. in that like once she had the spell components, she suddenly was able to do more magic. But 
Um, they never really specify what the spell components are, but that's like a relatively minor quibble Pocket compared sand. to everything else in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Um, yeah. For me, Marlon Wayans in this movie had Chris Tucker in the fifth element energy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it was it didn't really work for me. I I get where you're coming from, but for me the screeching got to be a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I think that his death scene spoiler alert he dies his that was good. That <laughs> was a spoiler that a black well man acted. dies in a movie that was made in 2000. <laughs> 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 oh, <laughs> think that's Navarre bringing out the truth bomb. <laughs> Just throwing yeah. truth right now. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Especially yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Develop the character of the white guy. That's like making yeah, a exactly. lovable side character in an anime. You're like, fuck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I think I was just going to say that he reminded me a little bit of Achu from Robin Hood Men in Tights, which is a character that I really love. Yeah. So that might have had something to do with it. I think also he was attracted to the half elf character and I automatically identify with the half elf character, even though she had literally nothing to do, but be like a mythic figure that gives the white guy magic powers. Yeah. Um, she barely she was spoke. useless to this movie. She did yeah. nothing. Yeah, she was. She, yeah. She does the cool flip Where and frees she? the mage and then she disappears. I think. <laughs> yeah. She does. She's not even in the climax of the film. Yeah. Like it's barely. Yeah, movie, yeah. Well, it's like, they also kick the rest of the party out anytime there's significant action happening. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's, it's very much a solo protagonist movie, which makes no sense for a D and D movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I was saying to my husband about it is that it's got a decent plot, but a shitty story. And that like, the bare bones of the script are there, like in terms of the action that happens, how they all meet each other. Like, I think it's kind of interesting that, and like, I think it would be funny if a D and D movie had everybody meet in a tavern, mm-hmm. but I know that people get sick of that. So I think it's cool that they met because they had a bunch of different objectives and they came in, you know, at different times and they just got kind of thrust together, which I think is, is cool. I think the whole thing that happened at the Thieves Guild was very cool and very Dungeons and Dragons. Um, They had a little mini dungeon in there that to me was the most dungeon aspect of the whole film, Mm -hmm. Um, especially because there was traps and he had to outthink the traps and he had to use his dexterity and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, And it was to the point where I was like, I should use this in a game. Like I like this. There's a room where he has to figure out which tiles he can step on. And then as he starts figuring out which tiles to step on, the trap gets progressively more difficult. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was, that was to me, that 10 minutes of the movie is when I felt like I was actually watching a Dungeons and Dragons movie. Mm. But he's still solo. Especially because he gets betrayed immediately afterwards. Yeah. But yeah, he still does that solo. He does it by himself. He he doesn't have the rest of the party with him. Actually, this is an interesting fact that I found out while doing a little bit of research about the movie. Richard O'Brien, aside from being the awesome creator of the the Rocky Horror Show, also hosted the show The Crystal Maze, the UK (laughs) show, uh, The Crystal Maze, which is essentially what we saw the main character doing. 
when he was jumping through all the obstacle oh, courses. Uh, it's a, it's it's not exactly the same. Like a lot of them are like puzzles and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it, mm-hmm. well, essentially, we had him. I my understanding is that that was a direct reference. Like the reason he was cast was partly as a reference to the fact that he hosted the Crystal Maze, and he shows up That's and cool. has the protagonist uh, navigate a death maze. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's so yeah. awesome. I will say as well, another another thing, area where this movie really falls flat on its face, the art direction. Uh, I think the yeah. quality oh, yeah. of the pieces, like the sets and stuff, they look in terms of like the they look real, quote unquote. But there's there's just some of it like the 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 main the main I guess the dragon was the wrong term to use. The second in command villain's armor. Is one of the most ridiculous mm, mm, outfits the of armor. Brigade yeah. or something like that. Yeah, and then like the yeah. blue, the blue lipstick they slapped him with. <laughs> like a lot of this oh, movie God. does not look good. No. Oh yeah, yeah. and then the half elf. It's not only boob plate that she's wearing; it's belly button plate. Yeah. And I was like, I I texted to these guys. I was like, I did not know that I had to be annoyed about belly button plate. What? fucking purpose does a belly button serve except to stab you yeah it's yeah it's just like it was it's honestly one of the most impractical pieces of armor i've ever seen because it's also one long torso piece that doesn't have a back so it's like it's all it's doing is serving to restrict her movement and inform you that she has tits and a belly button. Yeah. I think, I mean, to that end as well, in terms of like the design, I hated the, um, when you get to like the Elven realm, it looked mm. so ugly. It looked like super washed out. It looked like when I, when they first showed like the, the, the landscape view of it, I was like, Oh, is this like a barren, like destroyed wasteland? And then it's like, Oh no, this is just like, where the Ewoks live, they're in trees, but it just, it's mm-hmm. all like just gray and like dark Brown. It doesn't look vibrant at all. Like what you'd expect from elves who live in the woods. Um, it looked really, really bad. Like the trees weren't even lush. Like yeah. it, it was just like mm-hmm. just branches. Nah. Yeah. yeah. And it was barely any time in there either, True. which was disappointing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was also a very lot, like a lot of like fetishization of like, native yeah culture they have like little type. um like the, totems kind and of like, the stuff uh, we were saying in the last episode about druids yeah mm-hmm. i noticed that too yeah they had like um it almost appeared like uh like almost like voodoo idols essentially like hanging on mm-hmm. the walls mm-hmm. like there was very much like yeah just pulling from a bunch of random places to seem to make it look mystical like like what the director would yeah. assume would be mystical looking it would have been a much stronger choice if they had just had the elf heal him instead of taking him all the way to the elven mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. Like they should have just gone to some other location or some location they'd already visited. Cause why not save some money and then let her have the speech and all of the other crap that the extra character had. Cause of course, even Tom though they Baker. already have this elven character, they cast, <laughs> Oh, well I didn't, I don't know the actor, but I was just like, they go through all the trouble of having uh, Tom Baker, one of the most famous doctor actors. Oh, he's like one of the most prior to like David Tennant. He was the most okay. beloved version of the doctor. That makes <laughs> sense why they would want to have him in the movie then. Um, Cause to me, I just saw him and I was like, why yeah. is a random white guy being an elf being the, like the old <laughs> grandfather of this culture? Like, yeah, to that, to that end, that's one of the things that always drives me nuts is like, 
it's like, here's your diversity. Like we give you like, look, we got you a, a black female elf. And then you go to the elves and it's like, Oh, all the other elves are white. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So you just did Why? this just to like, <laughs> got it. Yeah. So that Marlon Yuck. Wayans, his love was interest, an interracial. Yeah. Wasn't white. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it's interesting to compare this, especially because they came out right around the same time. Compare the elf sequence in this movie to Lothlorien or Rivendell, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. Lothlorien in Lord of the Rings, like and just a year's difference. But you're talking about the lack of color, mm-hmm. the lack of lushness, the lack of atmosphere in this film, the weird mishmash mm-hmm. of cultures. And it's like low budget feel. It feels like it's from a like yeah. it feels like yeah. it's from TV. Mm-hmm. Let's let's be real. Like, it feels like this is a turn of the century TV fantasy TV show where they didn't have a movie style budget and then if you look at lord of the rings and especially in that year was like nothing we'd seen uh like it it looks like they just straight Mm -hmm. up went to an enchanted Mm -hmm. forest and filmed the movie no i was just gonna say i can remember the sense of one like as soon as you said it in my head i started (laughs) trying to remember like seeing rivendell and i'm like the first thing that pops into my head is like both the emotion that i had which was like the sense of wonder and beauty and then also just like the extremely tall white trees that formed that beautiful canopy and the and the way they branched out from each other and just the like sort of elegance and i want to say cleanliness but not in the way of like physical cleanliness but the way that you would say like a drawing has clean lines Mm-hmm. like just the it's way very like, intricate yeah yeah painterly yeah it's like painterly. And, and just like i and that's just from like three seconds that i could remember off the top of my head compared mm-hmm. to this film where what i saw was like honestly low tier somebody drew this up for our D homebrew campaign real quick it's like a brown mishmash a lot of this movie just feels like a brown mm-hmm. mishmash in my memory even the different locations are not yeah. very distinct uh in my mind yeah yeah it's tough i mean like because so i'll say like i know um uh friend of 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 my show and your show uh jazz from give me the loot like loved this movie as a kid because it was the first time he saw a black person in a fantasy show um and so yeah Mm. and then of course nils dies um uh but yeah so i think that there's like it sucks that there's that 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 happens so often and even happens still like we were just talking in the last episode about the wheel of time where it's like you have you have these black characters where it's like okay cool like like i said there's my diversity um but then uh they're poorly written or they die or they're made to be like a joke or they're the bad guy or whatever it is like mm-hmm. so it's tough i think it's i think we're getting somewhat better but it's i still, still think happening like, though but it's still mm-hmm. happening i mean we just talked about like yeah, the we, new D movie has a white protagonist mm-hmm. like well and we were and, and white apparently interest, a white yeah. love interest yeah I'm and in that same I conversation we were talking about the witcher and like one of the big mm-hmm. problems i had with it was that um i guess her name is mimi and uh, and she plays Fringilla, and like I don't mm. know what her race was in the book, but it's a Scandinavian writer, and it takes place in a fantasy Europe. So I'm assuming the character in the book was coated white. Yeah. Um, but she's like, it's not until well into the 
third season, I want to say, or no, there is no third season. Second. Okay, there's so it's in like the middle of the second season when she starts to become a redeemable character. But before that, she's terrible, and she's like mm. the only black person on screen, and so it really sucks. And then looking up her, I was thinking about um, what is her name? Shit, who was uh played from what? Obi-Wan. What is she in? Moses Ingram oh. is that her name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, the actress, yeah. the actress from the Obi-Wan yeah, show. and like she also gets some development once you get a little bit further into the series. But she start, I mean, she's the villain. She's yeah, she's the antagonist. So she's it's, it's kind of yeah, and like again, if you're willing to wait, it gets a little bit better, but it still sets up the black person as the bad person. A Moff mm. Gideon in Mandalorian uh, is black. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito. Mm. So mm. Both of those cases actually worked for me. Actually, uh, I, I liked Moses Ingram's character. I think that if we're looking at Star Wars, historically, Star Wars has not had black villains. Really. Up until... Possibly Giancarlo Esposito. You could, I mean, sure, Lando has like a slightly villainous term. You could term, argue that guy. Darth Vader is black. Lando's a good guy. Because uh, <laughs> he's voiced by a black guy? Yeah. It's an <laughs> argument he's that's made a lot. Yeah, he's voiced by a black well, guy. Well, he's, he's voiced by a black guy, but also like, like yeah. the, he's actually the color black. And mm. that's not, not that like, I'm not trying to say that that makes him African-American, but yeah. Well, once yeah. he takes his helmet off in the third movie at the very end, you know, I guess well, that's kind of what I'm saying here is that <laughs> is that I loved that character. I loved Moses Ingram's character by the end, and I think Moff Gideon is an excellent character, and I think Gene Carlo Esposito does a great job with it. I just think that I can say in regards to that, let's be real. That's a Gus Fring casting. A what? That's novel? why they cast him. It's because Gus Fring is one of the... Okay, the reason that Giancarlo Esposito got that job is because he mm, played one of the yeah. greatest TV villains of all time a few years prior on Breaking oh, Bad, okay. Gustavo Fring. And you can see it because Moff Gideon is basically yeah. Gus Fring gotcha. in Star Wars. Uh, like, the, the setup is not the same, but the characterization mm. is extremely mm. similar. And you can see that in a lot of the roles that Giancarlo Esposito has received since that. Like, you can see that in The Boys. You can see that even in his community character. Mm. Like, there's John Carlos Bazito played that role so incredibly well that he has now made a career out of transplanting that he even jokes into about other it. mediums. Yeah, he makes a joke about mm. it in the Far Cry 6 game trailer. Mm. He talks about how everybody wants him to be the villain. So now you get to now you get to fight against him. But yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think there's there's two elements to that, right? Because. So the Wheel of Time, uh, because I, I loved the books and the, I loved the show. Um, has a lot of diverse characters and all of the black characters, all of the black actors, actresses are absolutely incredible. I'm not just saying that because I am black, but like they are, they, their performances are amazing, but it's also the added fact that it's like, but we're never, we're never that guy. We're never the main person. Um, Now, when you have like a book, People tend to get hung up on the way that people are described in books, and that's a whole other issue, whatever. Um, and The Wheel of Time had a lot of that. Um, and Rand is very specifically not from the same place as the rest of the groups of people. If you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, just read The Wheel of Time. It's a good book. Um, series. It's long, but it's good. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's one of those things of like, 
I also enjoy it. Like I, I'm, I'm still there like rooting for the performance and I'm not getting too hung up on the fact that they're the bad guy or whatever, but I also wish that they weren't just the supporting role, the bad guy, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. That I fully agree with. They, it's the, I think the big yeah. issue for me is not that there's a villain is the issue that it's, it's a sidelined, like they still end up being sidelined essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then killed yeah. in the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Finn and everything, like we still don't have a black Jedi besides Mace Windu. Um, we definitely don't have a black woman Jedi that I know of. Yeah, um, there. Yeah, like, in the legends, I know Mace Windu had a Padawan who's black woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, is she? But that probably got she, decanonized. She, well, no, that Padawan is um, Kanan Jarrus's master, so that Padawan is canon. Um, mm. If you don't know who Kanan Jarrus is, uh, Rebels, which is sort of kind of a sequel to Clone Wars, but not exactly. It's Dave Filoni. It's really good. Um, but uh, in Rebels, the la- one of the last Jedi in existence is Kanan Jarrus, and he was taught by, I want to say Jocasta New, but I'm pretty sure that's the librarian. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she is. A, a different Jedi who was Mace's Padawan, but I didn't realize... I uh, wasn't sure be. she was human. Now that I'm looking but... at it, you know, I could be wrong. Do we think this is, well, first of all, spo- this is a small spoiler. Well, not a small spoiler. This is a spoiler for Obi-Wan. So skip ahead a little bit, uh, like 30 seconds. Moses Ingram mm. was uh, it canonically going to be a Jedi before the mm-hmm. Purge. Yeah. So that is one example that Which... we almost had one. <laughs> Uh, but then, yeah. Then there's also the question of Ahsoka. Do we consider Ahsoka Tano? But then there she, was a genocide. Well, yeah. But do we consider Ahsoka to be black if she's played by a black person? <clears throat> Look, if you're going to consider Piccolo black no. from Dragon Ball Z, then you got to consider Ahsoka black. That's all I got to say. Mm. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm going to go out and make an unpopular opinion and say I really hate the casting of Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka. Um, <gasps> Uh, watch the YouTube like video it. for our reactions on this. <laughs> Whoa! Why? Yeah. Why okay, do you we're it? listening. Um, we're listening. Yeah. I, for the record, I've been an Ahsoka fan long before that was ever announced. First of all, I Rosario Dawson's a Bernie bro. I'm not really into the whole Bernie bro things. Mm. That was part of why I'm not a huge fan of Rosario Dawson specifically. But aside from all of that, um, Ahsoka in Clone Wars is a very energetic, fun-loving, um, acrobatic, uh, irreverent, comedic, gregarious person who is like just this the character that she's playing and the character that I saw in Clone Wars don't seem like the same person and like i guess it's she's a little bit closer to who she is in rebels um which i suppose is fair but like it's so subdued and so controlled and pulled back and i just don't like it i don't like it okay so do you think that a characterization point is the fact that she's older in in the Mandalorian and that she's more, more Jedi than she is Padawan. And she's kind of jaded on the whole. Well, she's very specifically not a Jedi. 
Okay. But I mean, like more like, I mean, you have order 66 happened and all this stuff like Ahsoka has been through some shit, right? Uh, your master became mm-hmm. the biggest villain in the universe. Um, so, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. I, I loved it. I, I feel like it's fine. I get it. Like I, it never really bothered me. I'm interested. I mean, I guess we'll see more when the Ahsoka show comes out. Yeah. Or is, yeah. I have not. Uh, seen I mean, I'll, I'll, I was just going to say, I haven't seen any of the other versions of the character. So it made mm. sense to me. I, I was aware that she was a lot more like uh, my understanding was that she was kind of like the spunky teen type character mm. in the or in her early incarnations. But knowing that it still made sense to me that this woman who has been through so much and survived so much and has been probably living without with very few. Obviously, Jedi are supposed to let go of connections, but like I feel like she wasn't able to form connections for a long time mm-hmm. because there was a serious risk of death to her or her connections if she were to form them yeah. for a very long but time. Order 66. Yeah, yeah, so it makes sense to have me. Have you guys that both seen Clone Wars? No, that's I, I I'm just saying just my only just okay. with the idea so, of what she'd been through it made sense, but I can't say that it makes sense with the earlier depiction because I haven't seen it. So this is a big spoiler, but the way that she parts ways with the Jedi Order is a big part of who she is, and Mm -hmm. she never makes it to the rank of Jedi. She was framed for a crime, and she ends up rebelling against the Council, because basically the Council believed everybody but her, didn't take her word for her innocence, didn't listen to Anakin when Anakin protested that she was innocent, and like even didn't like take Obi-Wan's claim seriously and like at the end of the day she had to prove her own innocence and the sort of like she's kind of rebelling against the asceticism of the of the Jedi culture and the like also the sausage fest that is the Jedi Council. Like I think there might be one or two women on Yaddle it. Yaddle was on it. <laughs> like Okay. And so like but just like But that's like it. To me First of all, she leaves the Jedi Order when she's still a teenager. And she's still out there doing stuff as a teenager. And then you see her again in Rebels. And even though... I'll say... I'll grant that, yes, she's been through a lot of shit. And yes, um, you know, trauma can affect people that way. I want to see something of the character that I loved before Mm. i want to see something about that character that is connected to who she was before all this happened like i also just like i'll say maybe some of the problem is with the script because she didn't have a lot of lines um i wasn't i would have to go back and watch her entrance again because i remember there was something specific about it that bothered me but i couldn't remember what it was um Mm. But I don't know. It's a character that I'm really attached to. Mm. And I, it felt dry and a little bit disconnected to me. Your complaints sound very reminiscent of people's complaints about The Last Jedi and its depiction of Luke Skywalker. Don't even get me started. (laughs) See, yeah, I'm somebody who thought that it made about as much sense as it possibly could have made under the circumstances with that particular adaptation. Just considering the... Uh, considering the circumstances surrounding Luke up to that point, I don't know how else you do it. 
the, like, I don't know how else other than unless he's imprisoned. I don't know how else you say Luke is still is out there, which they established in the previous movie that he's been out. Oh, no, that's not the thing that I have a problem. with. Okay, well, essentially, uh, my my reasoning for thinking that the Luke thing works is I think logically. I can see where that could be what happens with that character. If he just like, that's a sad way for him to turn out, but I can certainly see sometimes things don't turn out well. And considering the idea that mm-hmm. he just, I think Mark Hamill himself said he kept expecting Luke to show up in, in force awakens. He kept waiting for the part where he shows up to save his friends. Like he's like, ah, here, surely mm-hmm. here is where, and you know, Han standing on the, on the little walkway with Kylo. And he's like, surely this is where Luke mm-hmm. will appear. Or when the lightsaber flies, aha, Luke's the, Oh, okay. No, it's Ray. Okay. All right. Uh, and Luke's still not there. Yeah. And he's just been chilling on this planet, apparently for no reason, not even with, with the lightsaber. Uh, well, I, I mean, he obviously had a new lightsaber by that point, but the, I think, uh, that's like the, one of the only ways you could have explained that unless you, you're like, oh, he had a huge accident and was forcibly disconnected from the forest or something like that. But anyway, what was the thing that you had a problem with? So in, uh- in the last Jedi, they explain that the reason that he did that is because he freaked out on Ben Solo and tried to murder him in his sleep. And I'm just like, this dude. So there's a couple different ways to become a Jedi Master, right? One is to be like conferred the rank of Master after going through your knighthood training. Another way is to turn somebody to the light side. That's how Luke becomes a Jedi Master is because he manages to turn his father from the dark back to the light just before his father dies. And that's what makes him a Jedi Master. To go in less than 20 years from I can change, I can sense the good in the the fucking Hitler of the galaxy to I'm going to murder my 20-year-old nephew in his sleep. Because I'm a little bit worried about what he might become because I'm not the world's best teacher. <laughs> like, you know, that totally cheapens his character. It makes him a <laughs> shitty person. And I hated that. Like, look, the sequels aren't good. Let's just be real. I'm I, just I, think, I think the first two are all right. I think I think the second the first one's the first yeah. one's okay. It's it just it's basically it's a, it's a decline. Yeah, it's just well, I actually like the second one the best. I think the second one's the best Star Wars movie since part of the last, of, the last yeah, Jedi. Yeah, I think, I think the last it, personally, I like the Last Jedi better than any Star Wars movie since Return of the Jedi, <laughs> and better than some parts of Return of the Jedi. I don't know if we can be friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, I like it. Uh, oh my god, it's. The last one's I hate trash, it so though. much. Rise <laughs> <Yeah>. of <laughs> Skywalker is utter Let's trash. Let's be clear. Yeah. We can agree yeah. on that. I mean, I don't think there was anywhere for them to go from that. Um, with, with, I mean, they definitely, but, it could have been written better with, uh, yeah. easily. Yeah. Well, I and think. just like not ignore the shit you already set up yeah. and like mm-hmm. reinforce things that were good about the first two. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm no screenwriter, but I definitely feel. I, I I made myself through sit, sit through it just to know what happens, and I was pissed. Like, fifteen <laughs> minutes in the movie, I just fucking hated every moment mm-hmm. of it, and I was so mad. Did you guys know that Palpatine's mm-hmm. announcement of his return was from a Fortnite event? That, that's actually that's where it was announced. That's where. Remember how they <laughs> like they, they, a message from Palpatine has resurfaced. That was at a Fortnite event. That's why it wasn't in the Jesus. movie. No. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> One of the dumbest things uh, I've ever heard. 
for a Star yeah. Wars movie. I'm literally dying yeah. right now. I think for me personally, there's a big division. Uh, and I know this is turned into a Star Wars conversation, but this is an interesting point uh, about canon because you're talking about the rules about how to well, someone becomes a Jedi Master, which aren't ever stated in the movies. And I have noticed that there is a distinct difference mm-hmm. between the movies and everything else. Everything else spends a lot of time trying to justify what is in the movies. The movies, for the most part, could not care less about anything that isn't the movies. So, for example, the idea of lightsaber forms, that's not in the movies. That's something that somebody else made up because they're like, well, let's let's justify and let's build it up. And that's not in the movies. It's you can absolutely read into it. But at nowhere at no point in the movies does it say Master Yoda uses a Taru and oh, Anakin has learned gem. So, oh, Mace Windu created Vapad. Never mentioned. They don't care about that. Uh, the, the idea but, of becoming a master, I think, is very much like they never say other than just the trials, which they never even show us the trials in the movie. It's just the trials. Well, Anakin very loudly complains about the fact that. He right. But that hadn't even been made been at the right time idea. of Return of the Jedi. The, who okay, cared? Okay. Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. There was no it's just you. You did it. You're a master. Like that was like that was that was the idea. Well, that's fine because I don't have a problem with it until they retcon it in Last Jedi, and by then we already had all the Anakin. Right, but my it. point is that there's so, a really interesting way of looking at the way that they deal with continuity between the movies, which again. Prob- I'm betting you the people that made that movie did not even know that redeeming somebody could make you a Jedi Master because they don't care because everything mm. else is just try is like tagging along with it's like it's it's technically the same continuity but at this point it's very literally not the same continuity because Disney even came in and said the only thing that's canon is the movies and whatever we make now and mm. so like it's yeah. it's a really interesting thing as a fan of something like that to see what is and it is not canon and bringing it back to Dungeons and Dragons it's really interesting interesting to look at the difference mm. that you see because Dungeons and Dragons is a game that doesn't though it has a set sort of fluid canon in certain realms it's a game that kind of invites people to use whatever they want and so mm-hmm. most of the most mm-hmm. popular games in Dungeons and Dragons well not most all all of the most popular series and games and manifestations of Dungeons and Dragons are non-canon to the source material <laughs> they are extra canon like uh, mm-hmm. Dimension Twenty, Critical mm-hmm. Role, this movie where the 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 beholder is just a a, a lap dog or not a lap dog but a watchdog. <laughs> even the even I mean, if we're talking mm-hmm. about people getting upset about the owl bear wild shape thing. You could argue that mm-hmm. that is part of it. And I, I think that's, yeah. I think you can draw mm-hmm. parallels between the fact that George Lucas and I guess Lucasfilm back in the day basically just told people, yeah, go ahead and write stuff and we'll make it canon. We don't really care. We just will keep making whatever movies we want to make and mm-hmm. you'll just mm-hmm. deal with it. And so. Well, and, well, you can draw parallels between that and the way that D&D says, yeah, I mean, like, use this if you want, uh, change the rules if you want, make, make it whatever you want to be. Uh, I think there's a lot of interesting parallels there. Well, and I think it's partly prior because prior to internet fandom, the only way that you could do that kind of rules lawyering about canon was to be like, to have an encyclopedic knowledge of the source material mm. and... Uh, not everybody in your fandom is going to have that, so there's not going to be a lot of people who can call you on it either. So it's like... But I do think what you're saying is interesting. I think it points to why a lot of the dialogue so far has been about uh, monsters and PC races, because it's like, those are things that we for sure know to be canon that are canon for everyone. So, like, 
what is an owlbear? That's canon for everybody. What is a gelatinous cube? What does a displacer mm. beast look like? What is a tiefling? I mean, obviously we argued about it, but like there's something well, to that's argue the thing. over. Yeah, even there. Yeah. There's even even with that, there's wiggle room. Because I agree with you. Mm. I would pref- I would prefer that a like the the tiefling was like purple or red or whatever, but it didn't mm. it didn't really bother me. But right. I can definitely I think it's an example of how even in the accepted canon, there's still like the they can still be like, yeah, but not in this game. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, OK. All right. Yeah. I do have a question I wanted to pose if we're moving on from this part of the topic. Sure. So my husband and I were talking about the D&D movie. He was like asking me to like give him a synopsis because he didn't want to watch the whole thing. Um, <laughs> and uh I was explaining the plot to him and he was like, I don't know why they always make the rogue the protagonist because it seems like a bad choice considering how antagonistic rogues are usually designed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks like in this case it's a bard, but it does make me wonder, like, what do you guys think well, first of all, single protagonist, joint protagonist, I think that's one of the things that the MCU has done to change the industry a lot, is that the joint protagonist story has become a lot more sophisticated, mm-hmm. uh, and people are much better at telling stories with multiple protagonists than they used to be in the past. That said, if you can't have all four or five or six of your people as the protagonists, which class makes for the best protagonist? Well, this is a small point of order about the the one that the the D and D movie the the two thousand D and D movie. They actually released their classes. Oh, they did. And the main character is a rogue fighter multi class. Mm, that makes sense. <clears throat> oh, he uses a sword. Yeah, Nails is a pu- Nails is pure rogue, and I believe <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I believe the mage is a wizard. And I think that the villain is Jeremy Irons' character is like a level fifteen wizard, and I can't remember what the elf is, but she's like a level seven ranger, ranger probably. She's probably a yeah. Because he's like he's like girl. I love the way you track. <laughs> Whenever oh, Marlon yeah, Wayans is like <laughs> hitting on her for her survival skills. She does yeah. use tracking. Yeah, she's an elf. She's an elf ranger, seventh level. Yeah. That makes sense. And, every, uh, the, and she, and the rest she of the was sent basically on a fetch quest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in the um the the dwarf is a fighter or a barbarian. They uh, the the only source that I said that or that I found that listed it does not seem to say. I'm guessing he might be both. Yeah, he might be a fighter barbarian, yeah. or just a barbarian. You're gonna do um, as well? Yeah, Snails is a level zero rogue. Um, literally never, <laughs> never passes a, a, a stealth check. Uh, does does zero um, sneak attacks or backstabs uh, and cannot. The protagonist fight. does a sneak attack though. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, he's a fighter. He's a dwarf fighter. They say okay. it on Wikipedia. He's oh, okay, a dwarf gotcha. fighter. Uh, in regards to Joan's question, it's tough because I can see, like, as far as your husband's question goes, it makes sense in a, in a way of like, what's the easiest story to write? Like, who already has conflict built in, and a rogue has conflict built in because they mm-hmm. are, if not a hero, an antihero because they're willing to do things that are classified as wrong socially so i think that's like part of what makes it but i can see i personally can see a lot of one i mean fighters kind of a boring one because you can, you need something else that's like going to tie to it um, but paladins and clerics have like a religious thing that they could tie to mages have like 
I want to get the next big spell. So how do I achieve this goal or increase my power and stuff like that? Um, but stuff warlocks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, warlocks have a lot of story built in. Yeah. That's all. Cause they, you have a whole story of how you got in. your powers as well as something but that warlocks don't become like PCs until fifth edition. Well, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. 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 Don't get me started on warlocks. Um, <laughs> all i'll say is i think i like warlocks. i think warlocks would make a good movie uh i don't think they make great D classes personally <laughs> and i'll leave it at that. um yeah uh you should have been on our warlock episode I, maybe honestly you, when you it came out i was like i have so much to say <sighs> yeah yeah we'll have to talk we'll have to do a kickback oh, we'll where to. we talk about <laughs> yeah. uh how your hatred for the for the warlock yeah. Um, mm. but yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, for me, I would say the same classes as Navarre. So like cleric and paladin, because mm-hmm. they have yeah. the most background built into the character, but I would also say yeah. warlock. I could definitely see, um, Z Bashu on YouTube has a really interesting video where he's like the, the story that can be built into a warlock's backstory. Uh, mm. it's really, it's like, it's basically like a Victorian Gothic, uh, horror story of this guy, like receiving all these premonitions and this voice in his mind and being on a ship. And eventually this great eldritch being has been calling to him this whole time. And it's like a shipwreck. He reaches the being and it's, you know, it's like, this is how you gain warlock powers. And I was mm. like, oh yeah. See, now this, yeah. this is something I could that, get behind. So when I was at SCAD doing my MFA, in dramatic writing um my teacher of the tv pilot class would say like you want to set it somewhere where stories just walk in the door and so like he was talking mostly about procedurals like courtroom dramas and um hospital dramas and police precinct dramas and stuff like that because it's like those are places where every 10 minutes there's a new story walking in the door um and I think that you've hit on something with that in terms of like writing a character where new stories just come up automatically. Cause I think, yeah, it's like both the paladin, well, paladin, warlock and cleric all have that same thing. They have a relationship inherently built into the character already. And all three of them have something in their character breakdown that talks about the nature of that relationship with that character who is, theoretically a god or some kind of powerful creature um and then like you have all the ingredients you need for a story right there right off the bat and it it's interesting because um the i've talked about it a couple times our main quest that i have my 22 level rogue in it's the if i were to look at it as a story why are you laughing it's at just my 22 level rogue? yeah that's so that's so wild She's my pride and joy. Um, What's the max level in 3.5 out of curiosity? What's the max level? Technically 20. Technically 20. And then you go into epic level. So we're at epic level now. What's the highest Um, epic level you can go to? I think 30. Because once you get to 30, you're basically a demigod. Yeah. Um, All the gods in the uh, deities and demigods in 3.5 are usually... Uh, 30 for lower level and 40 for higher level. And it's usually a cross class between a cleric and whatever you would think their class would be. Um, uh, okay. But yeah, she's, well, she's now like the spy master for an entire kingdom. So it's like, it's high level shit that we're doing. But my whole point is that um, if you try to analyze it as a story, like the actual whole campaign that we've done, it's very much my rogue character who has 
the most like lore depth and the paladin character who's very much interested in doing the right and noble thing and driving the plot forward and they serve as foils to each other and like that's where a great deal of the story comes from in our world not that the other characters in the party aren't important but like they're the most directly connected to the overplot and they make the most natural foils for each other yeah i think something else that you guys made me think of is that it also kind of points it's an interesting point of like a game design in that you're not set up in D and D fifth edition to be the hero at first level. Like we're talking about like these characters are like, I mean, they don't like even like the main protagonist doesn't do like a lot of really cool stuff. Like he can do like high acrobatic flips and that's probably the coolest thing he can do. Um, but he's not like the best fighter or anything like that. And um, the, mage she she has some, we talked about having some high level spell slots but she can't do um she doesn't do a ton of stuff and my point is being like to make a good D movie they have to be that seventh level or higher to have yeah. enough skill to be like what we would normally recognize as like a good action hero like when you look at lord of the rings like uh aragorn is like contested of like a fifth seventh level D D character right um and same with legolas uh whereas like the halflings are like first second level uh rogues um mm-hmm. they start as commoners yeah yeah and have to like work their way up <laughs> but yeah it's it's interesting in that way of just like the, the story that you're telling uh because so many of us play D D for that part of the fantasy of like playing you know, powerful heroic characters, but it takes a, it takes a lot of time to get there. Um, and that part of it is interesting to you as a player, but not interesting to an audience as a whole necessarily, unless you're like really good at role play and people want to watch that because people do. Um, but I just think like, it's interesting that a D and D movie can't be made with like a first level hero. You have to, they have to be more mm-hmm. skilled than that. They have to have more power than what you get going into the game. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's just fun. I think that comes down Hmm. to medium specificity because I think, yeah, in an AP, we don't have a problem watching it, but in a movie, well, I mean, okay, I don't (laughs) in the APs that I've watched, but um, out of curiosity, can you name an AP where they stay level one for like an extended period? Maybe not an extended period, but I'm assuming that uh, the first, the adventuring, that's not, that's the, well, at fantasy high, they start as their level one for two episodes. Are are they? Though? Oh, I thought like yeah, most they're level one. Most I feel like most APs start out at level three at least, if not higher. Yes, Fantasy mm. High was the first time Brennan had ever DM'd fifth edition, so he had them start out as level one characters because they're like going to school. Mm. Uh, so they start as level one and they're level two by episode three. Yeah, and they grow uh, the, with, with those seasons. Start at level one at least once. With, uh, with uh, with those series, uh, especially the earlier seasons, they would just grow a level after every combat mm. so they finish you that do season grow as level really eight. fast yeah. at the beginning yeah but not like, like not like you, two sessions <laughs> it's yeah. like they I it's mean, like literally they're level, level eight by the end of the season they after eight ca- combat i mean yeah level, that's a little accelerated yeah in 3.5 though our level one really only lasted like max two sessions like we did a very mm. small dungeon that was based on the first dungeon from the original legend of zelda game 
Um, and we did fight Keys. We fought uh, fire bats at the very beginning. No, they weren't even hey. on fire. They were just regular bats, and they actually did destroy us. <laughs> um, yeah, bats. Don't not playing around. Um, but yeah, it's first level goes by really quickly. I I guess I didn't. That's the other thing is I'm not as well versed in 5e as I am in 3.5, so I can't necessarily tell what level everybody is at unless they specifically say so. I do think it's funny that you said level 7, Navarre, because that is the exact level for our alternate characters that are now hirelings of our epic level characters. Mm -hmm. So my second character in main quest is um, started as a level 7 paladin. Yeah. Um, and I think... The thing that made me want to point that out is because I feel like this is an actually usable tip, is that 7 is a great level to start at. Um, at least in 3.5, I think it carries over. Because by at 7, you've already got a bunch of stuff. You've got For 5th edition, you've got your subclasses. For 3.5, you've got a couple feats already. You've got a lot of skill points and stuff like that. And then 7, the first level up you'll hit is 8. And then at 8, you get in fifth edition next... or in 3.5 edition you get an ability point mm -hmm. i believe at eight yeah and then you, mm -hmm. i think you also get a feat at that level too yeah and fifth you get a feat and or I... ability score improvement yeah so i think seven is a great starting level if you're starting a campaign and you don't want to start at, at one but i also think that if you've never played a campaign where you started at one you really should yeah yeah it's fun i was in a campaign once where we were level one for like eight or nine sessions and these were not like hour-long sessions this was like three to four hour sessions so we were level one for a long time yeah that's i don't know like i think mm. in D D, I prefer to use um milestone but i definitely think like your milestone should not be outrageous either um and sometimes yeah. I'm just like, I don't know, we've played enough sessions. Like, let's just fucking move up. Like, you've learned stuff over this time. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I think, yeah, it's tough. But even, like, in my own, like, because I run one-shots for my show, and, and some of them I'm planning, and I usually don't plan very low-level stuff. It's usually like, okay, like, I want the players to get the most out of this class. So, like, the first one I did was level 10. Um, the next one I did started at level zero characters, and then I gifted them level three through like in the middle of the game um and looking at stuff like the next one i plan is like a level six but i think it's like what's going to be the best thing for this specific story um which i think i guess is the same same thing that they're doing with the movies like well shit i'd really love for you know the wizard to be able to or the bard to be able to cast haste like what level does he have to be to cast haste all right cool let's make him enough that he could do that up uh, then stuff afterwards as well and so yeah i think it's going to be you have to have it just because of the way the game's built you can't you can't make a movie at least uh i feel like you couldn't make a satisfying dnd movie where all the characters were first level for the movie it just it would be too frustrating no. for a lot of people not for the whole film yeah. no Mm. Have you guys seen Seven Samurai? This is a side question. No. Uh, I haven't. I've heard a lot about it, but I've never seen it. Yeah, it's one of my Same. favorite movies. Uh, it is basically the blueprint 
for the group hero movie. Mm. It came out, it's the, also the movie that put Japanese cinema more than any other thing on the map. Yeah. Uh, it came out in like 1955 or 56. Uh, Akira Kurosawa, amazing movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you've seen it referenced. Uh, A Bug's Life is basically the same plot. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> it is literally the same plot in that, in the sense that uh, they are, it's about a group of, it's set in feudal Japan. It's about a group of peasants who are being terrorized by this group of bandits who come and steal all their crops every year and they're like Mm. so desperate they're in such poverty they decide to pool their resources go into town and try and hire samurai to defend them Mm. and these are all like ronin so these are all uh masterless samurai and they hire a motley crew of seven samurai who then come back and try and uh, try and defend the village. And it is like, you've seen references to it everywhere. Uh, Star Wars, I mean, Star Wars is hugely influenced by Kurosawa, but... I was gonna the- say, I think there's a Clone Wars episode that is a direct analog of that. Yeah. And there's uh, um, the fact the way that Yoda is constantly like or he rubs his head a lot in the prequels Mm -hmm. is directly taken from one of the main characters Mm -hmm. in Seven Samurai. Uh, There's the whole like I'm not even sure if this is where it comes from, but it's the first time I've ever seen it, which is in 19. This happened in 1955 or 56. There's a sword fight between two dudes. It's a single stroke sword fight. And there's like a pause. Mm -hmm. And then one of them slow motion falls over. And that's like in every anime since. Yeah. Classic. Ne- I think that was the first time you have the climactic battle in the rain. Uh, mm. The whole like let's assemble the team. All of the samurai having mm. distinctive b- personalities and backgrounds. Uh, that is like, if we're talking about like Marvel having kind of figured it out, I'm betting you that's where they took it from. Yeah. Because it's like, oh yes, well let's have a group movie where they all fit individual roles and it's like ah yeah, yeah he's the really skilled guy he's the young upstart he's the wise leader he's the crazy man uh like it's they're all yeah. different uh they all archetypes. fit different archetypes it's utterly phenomenal i think that movie's incredible um but uh yeah anyway Someday it also we'll made have me a long conversation about the hero's journey Mm, yes, I'm. I'd be interested to hear somebody like analyze that in the context of the hero's journey because it's a Japanese, like it's a Japanese story that's influenced by American westerns. So I'd be really interested to see how much of that actually would show well, up. Well, the original hero's journey archetype is based on like the Epic of Gilgamesh or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's it goes pretty far back, and then it's like. Because I think a lot of people take it as like, this is how you're supposed to write a movie. And it's more of a like, this is some characteristics of the vast majority of mainstream popular culture over the last X many years. Mm. But specifically Western, which is why I think it'd be interesting to analyze it. Yes. Because you don't see that as much in mm-hmm. East, it's Eastern stories don't necessarily follow that same format, which is why I think it'd be interesting to see wh- what elements of it may have translated from the huge Western influence. Yeah. Uh, on the movie this is a further derailing but <clears throat> have either of you played the uh, ghost of tsushima Su- Su- game no unati was raving about really it back in the day. it's incredible but they have a kurosawa mode where you could put it in black and white and it does like the little like uh 1950s like the flickering you know of the screen and it's all like you can keep it japanese oh, um that's it, super cool yeah it looks amazing that game is beautiful that game is 
one of the best games ever made, uh, hands down. But yeah, mm. the Kurosawa mode is pretty cool, just at least to try. Because uh, you, you get into fights that with like sick. Ronin um, and Mongols and stuff where you'll be in that like paused mode of like each waiting for the other to start. And then, yeah, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, I don't have to play this game sometimes. Random. Uh, the Jedi whose name we were looking for earlier, uh, her name is Depa Balaba. Yeah. Oh yeah, but she's not uh, black Padawan, guy. and she she is not black. It looks like she might have a bindi, mm. which suggests to me that she oh. might be of Indian yeah. descent. Um, she kind of looks like she could be of Indian mm. descent. Um, cool. Which is yeah, know, good. yeah. I remember her. Some South Asian representation. In yeah, there. from back when I used to read Star Wars novelizations, I remember her. Um, mm-hmm. it looks okay. Like she was in some of the comics also. I'm going to steer us very quickly back to D and D only because I found yeah. a, I did find an article that was, uh, that actually gives a fair amount of interesting background. It's not deep, 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 but, uh, I'm, I'm going to start. This is actually from screen, right? It's the Dungeons and Dragons, d- uh, movie disastrous facts, trivia article. If you want to look it up. Uh, I'm starting with number four on the list, oh, which is fun. that Profion's bone filled lair is actually a real place. Uh, he, anyone, essentially, it is a real place. It's called the Sedlik Ossuary. Uh, it's a church that contains the bones of about 50,000 people, which have been rearranged into furnishings. That's not the only, there are other ossuaries. I've been to one. I think I've been to more than one in the Czech Republic. Uh, they're wild. That's, they're yeah. absolutely wild. <laughs> Uh, number one, another one, uh, number three, is that there were a lot of issues outside of Courtney Solomon, the director's control here. Uh, essentially, he had purchased the rights, but he signed off on giving the controllers of the license, which was actually TSR, not mm. uh, not Wizards of the Coast. He gave TSR mm. last say on director and script approval. So I was wrong when I was talking about Wizards of the Coast. There's uh, your issue. Yes. So when Wizards of the Coast bought the rights, uh, production of the movie was starting but there had to be a there was a lawsuit it had to stop and it started a huge court battle between courtney solomon and wizards of the coast which ended with a settlement that required the movie to start production immediately and the investors forced solomon to take over as the director and made him do an earlier script that he had previously rejected so uh and then here's the other thing this is probably the craziest part of this so obviously courtney solomon was the director but both Francis Ford Coppola and James Cameron wanted to direct this film. What? And they were and they were forced out by TSR. Wow. Uh, Lorraine Williams from TSR forced like re- forced the rejection of those two directors. What the fuck is wrong How with you? We almost had we almost had a James we Cameron coming off of Titanic. <laughs> coming off of titanic yeah uh we could have had my god we could have had avatar like, what on we earth we could have had avatar the D yeah. movie oh my fucking god yeah i'm sorry that's how wild is that that is wild who's Ugh. speaking of which who's directing the new one that's a good question Do we know Oh, I don't even know. I will look it up. Yeah. Oh, this was another thing. Did you notice that the name of this movie is said several times? <laughs> yeah. In the I, I wrote that in our. They disc- say honor among thieves. Yeah. Like many yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that was like a direct reference, like an mm. intentional. I mean, I reference. hope so. Like me too. Like as much as we're bagging on oh, the movie, yeah. like it's still. I think it's tough. It's tough to have one without the other because it you have to have like 
you know, it helps to say this is where it started and we can get here. Um, and like I said in the last episode, like this is the context of, of successful fantasy stuff that's coming out that we can continue to um, improve upon. John Francis mm-hmm. Daly and uh, start- Jonathan Goldstein or Stein, one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really familiar with their work. Let me see. Um, Gina Davis show. It looks like uh, Jonathan Goldstein has mo- mostly. Oh, he was a co writer for Horrible Bosses. Spider Man Homecoming. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, he co wrote uh, Spider Man Homecoming. Uh, and Game All Night, right. which I didn't see, but I was interested in seeing. Game Night's hilarious. Okay, <laughs> I, I want to watch that because I feel like that's yeah. in the ballpark of this audience too. Anyways, it's like it's yeah. about tabletop gaming. That makes me feel. That makes me feel good about the comedy that's going to happen in it. Then, because yeah. I, I mean, I think those were both funny movies, so mm. they both had good. Yeah, good funny parts. if you did Spider Man Homecoming, I think I, that makes me feel actually really good about it. And it looks like mm. John Francis. It also ex- explains why it's like a Marvel movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is John Francis. You were Daly saying John Francis got Daly... famous for being an actor on Freaks and Geeks. And that... oh, wait a minute, that's oh yeah, is that Sweets? Yeah, he's, I think. Okay. Yeah, I'm I did not realize that he's Sam. Yes. from Freaks and Geeks. That's and wild. Lance Sweets from Bones. Yeah, I'm. I'm bought in. I love sweets. He was so. oh, and it looks like he was Carter in Horrible Bosses, so maybe that's how they got together. And he was he was young Tommy in the Who's Tommy. <laughs> how wild is that? It also looks like uh, as a big Who fan, that's yeah. really weird. He's been on an episode of Drunk History. Oh, good for him! Yeah, Freaks and Geeks, mm-hmm. man. I could I could do that for a long time <laughs> about that show and like uh, once again something I haven't seen. Yeah, essentially, it's a very good show, but it is like. It's weird that it's under the radar because if you watch it, you'll realize that this is possibly the single most important comedy TV show made like of the last decade or specifically prior to the last decade because so many people in that show later became major players like Judd Apatow is the king of 2000s era American comedy. Right. And he made Freaks and Geeks like Freaks and Geeks. Which uh, is. Yes, it also had Jason Siegel as one of its primary actors. Jason Siegel right. is, of course, yeah, Seth Rogen as one of his primary Wasn't actors. Wasn't Jason Bateman on that show, too? Uh, I don't think so. Or Paul I think Rudd. He's a little bit older. Paul Rudd, no, he was not on it, but Busy okay. Phillips was on it. Um, James yeah, Franco James was on it. Uh, Linda Cardellini mm. was on it. Wow. Uh, Linda Cardellini eventually played like Velma in the Scooby Doo movies. She was in Mad Men. Um, Busy Phillips was, I think, in Cougar Town. Uh, the lead actress from Masters of Sex, I can't remember her name, but she was also on that show. Like, there are so many people who, and Freaks and Geeks is a great show. Uh, also, speaking of Dungeons and Dragons, one of the first shows, if not the first show, to have a Dungeons and Dragons episode. Well, which makes sense, John Where Francis the, the Geeks. Yeah, the geeks we get do. John Fran- John Francis Daly is the leader of the geeks. Get uh, James Franco, he's one of the like freaks from the show, to come play D anD D with them. The halflings should do an episode that's just about the D anD D episode because some of the D anD D episodes out there in different shows, especially in kids shows that are written by a, like Shira and My Little Pony have two of the best D&D episodes I've ever seen. And the She-Ra one fully includes one of the characters making minis huh. and painting them. Whoa. Um, I haven't gotten that far in She-Ra, but that's And the... And My Little Pony, the 
one of the main characters discord uh is played by the guy who plays q in star trek the next Mm. generation and he's the dungeon master it's so chaotic it's so amazing oh and they call it ogres and oubliettes my little pony is so like Uh, racially mm -hmm. charged it's wild it's that's a whole other thing, but it's like if you like, look, yeah, I have not heard any of this. Really we gotta have to talk about this yeah. another time. I have not heard it's, any of this. It's pretty. I it's did not pretty know wild. that. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of racially charged, shout out to Community's D and D episode, <laughs> which was, in my opinion, wrongfully. Mm. In fact, at the time, we said mm. it was wrongfully removed on this show mm-hmm. from streaming uh, streaming platforms because Ken Jong dresses up as a drow. Uh, but that is maybe of the they'll D&D bring it back episode. someday. Of the yeah, hopefully of the D and D episodes that I've I seen, like that is my favorite. Yeah. Uh, that's easily one of the best shows of that show, or best episodes of that show, and I think it's uh, I think it's an absolute classic. Uh, but uh, I think we've pretty much reached. I mean, look, we've we have talked about everything <laughs> in this episode of all the episodes that we've done as the Avengers. Uh, we have meandered more <laughs> on this than possibly. Uh, this would be one of the most. Um, tangential i feel <laughs> like sure. three black mm-hmm. halflings episodes if if at some point there's ever a ranking of like the three black halflings episodes <laughs> with the most thoroughly developed tangents this is gonna be mm. it's gonna be have to tell like a top three yeah. pick uh <laughs> if you ever need somebody to go off on a tangent just get your pdadhd <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh excellent yes i've had such a great time thank you both yeah, for coming course. uh where where can we find you when you are not uh fighting off massive invasions from namor the submariner you can find me on twitter at a underscore wild underscore akafan where i will be screaming about how snails shows up in the next dungeons and dragons movie or we were at <laughs> Oh, snails! Yeah, and the bar. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> where is <laughs> <in> snails? <laughs> justice for yes. snails, oh, for sure. Um, I mean, he just disappears. Oh, nail! Sorry, justice no, it's for snails. No, it is snails. Yeah, it is snails. Yeah, it yeah. says so. If oh, you get God. to the justice very end, that his name is written on the rock that is his headstone, and it says snails. He gets reincarnated into the dragon ruby, so he's got to come back. That's it. Doesn't yeah. make sense for him not to. Yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah, but yeah, so you you can find me on uh, Twitter at uh, Navar SNP. That's N A V A A R S N P. Uh, or you can also find me on my podcast, Secret Nerd Podcast, where we have discussions with people about their individual experiences in TTRPGs and talk about their nerd origin stories and all the other things involved in their lives uh, that I can stuff into an hour to an hour and a half. I don't really stick to timelines. I'm kind of bad about it. Um, but yeah, if you want to follow the podcast, it's Secret NRD Social on Twitter. Um, um, yeah, and if you'd like to look at games that I've designed, it's novarsnp.itch.io. Check it all out. Yes, absolutely go check out everything that Navar has made, as well as uh, both Jasper's and I's appearances on his yes. show. Uh, and also go check out Joan uh, mm-hmm. with the, uh, you're playing the Mythic Odysseys of Theros campaign. Yeah, with Girls Run These Worlds on Sundays, and I'm playing uh, Onyx Kasubo, which is a reference. And if you know what that reference is to, we're best friends now. Hit me up. Um, and then uh, she is a Nyx-born paladin of Nilia. 
Excellent. Uh, and this is my last piece of D&D trivia, which is that there was actually an alternate ending, I believe filmed for this movie, in which the ending was them planning to go and presumably bring nails back or snails back. The implication was like, because snails, uh soul was in the ruby, I think they were either going to go into the ruby or do, they were like going to go into another world on no, another they quest do. and bring him. They, it, yeah. Do they? Yeah, they get sucked into the ruby at the end. I was really hoping you were going to make up something really wild. No, like, I'm correct. No, I, I was wrong. The The actual ending was the one that I was thinking of, but there's an alternate ending where they just were like, sorry, man, and it was real sad, and then they left. This <laughs> is no joke. There was an alternate ending where it was they did not try and do like a sequel tease, and they just gave up on, oh. on bringing it back. Uh, but yeah, I'm Jeremy Cobb. You can follow me on Twitter, JeremyCobb1, Cobb with two Bs, number one. You can also follow this show show uh on twitter at three number three black halflings and you can follow us on instagram same moniker as well as on patreon if you like what we're making you can go on the patreon and you can hear behind the scenes episodes on actual play as well and by the time that this is released we may be releasing a new actual play season oh my goodness Whoa. oh my goodness where is it set i i don't care i don't know when this is coming out so i'm just gonna tell you it's wagadu it's, it's yeah Wigadu. yeah yeah you know what? I'm going to even say it. We, I'm going to say it right now. Uh, the name of it is Tales of Ogadu, The Curse of the Spider Queen. If we haven't released it by now, yes. now you know the title. It's called Tales of Ogadu, The Curse of the Spider Queen. Uh, Ties back fact, into your nickname. Cobb, yeah. whatever it was. <laughs> Uh yes yes uh what is it the blue the blue, blue cop cob stomper yeah. or the blue, stomping cop yeah something stomping like that sto- stomping cop stomping yeah uh yeah uh it is uh for fans of uh the cop of the caterpillar you will. You very much enjoy this. If you have not listened to The Cup and the Caterpillar, that's okay, because you know what? This isn't a direct sequel. Uh, so even though it takes place in the exact same world, uh, and there are numerous references to The Cup and the Caterpillar, you can listen to this without having listened to The Cup and the Caterpillar. And you don't have to answer this. Enjoyment. Yes. But I have a question. Yes. Is Mooty coming back? Uh, is Mooty coming back? Um, there is at least one reference to Mooty in this season, and that is all I will say. <laughs> mm. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see, mm. see, won't we? Uh, so yeah, there is at least one reference. There are multiple references to things from the Cub and the Caterpillar. There are, uh, there is at least one cameo of at least one NPC from the Cub and the Caterpillar. Uh, mm. but uh, you'll have to. Tune in and listen to see what uh, how all that. Moody takes couldn't shape. be there because Jasper was on the uh, Honor and Thieves set filming his part yes. as, as snails. snails. <laughs> <laughs> Jasper is the reincarnated snails. Yep. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah. Love you, Jasper. Yeah, I love you, man. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Um, thanks for listening. So long, Shia Folk.
Halflings, it's about that time that we thank some incredible people who signed up to the Three Black Halflings Patreon. We love you guys so, so very much. It is a way that we keep this show going and that we can do all of the awesome stuff like the Tales of Wagadu Curse of Spider Queen actual play series that we just released, which has all of the uh, talkback episodes uh, currently on it. And there is going to be more bonus content. I think there's nearly like 50 bonus episodes. So if you haven't signed up to the Three Black Halflings Patreon yet and you're interested in checking it out, now is there is no better time than right now because there is so much content on there. But without any further ado, let us thank some of these beautiful, beautiful people. David Murdoch. Thank you, sir. Adeline Fiery. I hope I said that right. It's a very, very cool name. You sound like a dope elf. I love it. Joseph Gandhi. Tim Drace. Bert from Ohio. I wonder where he's from. Sophie, Sophie Cake Kempe. Alana Ochoa. Christina Lapointe. Shauna Griffiths. Do Finnis. That was all in capitals. That's why I did it like that. Vicky Gaskin. Cahill Chufour. Jacken Shelton, Lucas Murray, Amy Zurovest, or Z. I love that name. Strong names this week. So, thank you so much for signing up to the Three Black Halflings Patreon. You are all absolute legends and you are helping to keep this show going. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful week. So long, Shire folk. That was a headgum podcast. <laughs>